My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. If you're watching online, I'm waiting for Ellen to grab a seat. So, thank you. Now we can begin. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really appreciate uh, Marty leading us in our announcements. And um, that last one on the town hall is just dear to my heart. I've had the privilege of being here 27 years, started as youth pastor. Ended up, you, were you in my youth group, Ines? Am I, am, I, am I the right age that you were in the junior high ministry or... Maybe not. Um, you might have served. I don't remember. That's a long time ago. You did serve. That's right. And uh, senior pastor and Ines has been there all the way. Um, but we, uh, God's been there all the way and we're so thankful. And I, I look forward to the day when I can pass that baton off to the next lead pastor because I believe that God wants to continue to do amazing things here in this congregation into the community. And it's not built on me. I know we are all a part of it. I see some of you folks that have been here forever in a day, like first day, right? Right, you know, and so you've been through tra- transitions and challenges, and I want that to be as smooth as the Lord wants it to be. Right? Uh, none of our transitions in life are always smooth. Sometimes they're met with bumps and humps along the way. In fact, sometimes it requires a transition for us to wake up. Uh, we've seen over the last several weeks of our reset series that God wants us to reset in many ways. And I don't know how long you've been attending Sunrise or maybe attending church. Or you might even say, I am a follower of Jesus and I'm a Christian. You might say that. I don't know how long you've been in that relationship with God. But I believe even there you need a reset. You need an opportunity to once again reexamine where you are in that relationship with God. I mean, a marriage needs it. Your finances need it. Um, Lord willing, if you've got teenagers, you, you know, they're going to get it. They're going to own their own faith. But every one of us need to stop at a season and say, how is it going? What's going on? Allow God to do some self-examination so that we are right on the right track. And so that's what we're doing in this series this fall called Reset, where we're really re-examining the truth claims of Jesus and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Why do we do this thing called church? Because I just don't want us to be religious people or people that show up on a Sunday or dial in or tune in online and just kind of say, I did my God thing. I want us to really know that this is what is real. This is what is factual. This is what is historical. 
And so we started with the most important question, okay, who is Jesus? And if we can ask that question and journey along, we can discover that he has a heart for us and a desire for us. Even though his story relates 2,000 years ago and our story is today, it's a story that continues to reverberate 2,000 years later. And it's part of a bigger story because the bigger part of the story we saw last week is that we all have a deeper problem than just making mistakes. Uh, We actually, according to God's word, we do more than that. We we do what's called sin. We fall short of God's standard. Uh, We miss the mark. And so we're not just, you know, people that make mistakes. We're not just mistakers, uh, which sounds so good, right? We're actually sinners. And, and, And you said amen. And you're the first sinner in the room. I love it. That's awesome. And I know you, and that's so good. Uh, so what, what, what's so exciting about that is come to the point in our brokenness where we acknowledge that we are powerless, we are helpless. And we, we've seen faith stories about that. Coming to that point in the story where we know that we can't fix this, that we need something else. And so today I want to continue that story. And if you miss one of those, you can check it out online at isunrise.com. And if you're watching us online, you're right at the page there for that. As a believer in and a follower of Jesus, I love to study the history of it. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to this. I want to make sure that what I believe is right. And as someone who's been a follower of Christ for over 40 years, I have spent seasons of my life examining. Now, this is what the Bible says. How do I know the Bible is true? Is there any history that could validate that? Or are we just kind of religious nut jobs that believe something that maybe somebody wrote, somebody put together, and it's a faith. Maybe it's kind of like the opium of the masses, Karl Marx would say, keeps us going, keeps us doing something. But really, is it true? Maybe we don't care. I care. I want to know that what I'm staking my eternal life on is real. Now, it doesn't mean I know and understand all the Bible. I I read it every year, but there's stuff I sit there and go, man, that's like kindergarten 101 in heaven. I'm going to ask that question because that doesn't make any sense, right? And we're all going to have those. But I'm talking about the big stuff. Do we know with certainty that some of the facts and figures and the people, the Bible really existed. Uh, my wife and I have had the chance to go to Israel and walk those places. In fact, we have a team right now in, uh, in transit to Turkey and Greece walking the footsteps of Paul. So do the things mentioned in the Bible actually show up in history? Can we validate with that? Yeah. There is always that step, though, called faith that we have to take. But I don't want it to be a blind faith, like a leap in the dark. I want it to be a, a, just a continual walk into the light. And so I tend to kind of gravitate towards those things and sometimes show slides and sometimes talk about nerdy stuff like that. Because what I want you to know is there is a faith that's been tested and tried and has come out. It's real. And I don't know if you know it's real or you feel confident that it's real. Maybe you're just checking us out for the first time and you're like, I don't even believe in it. That's okay. We're glad you're here. But if you walk the journey, the more you walk the journey, you know that your faith is tested and tried and has come out in a beautiful way. And so I want to talk about that today in a specific relationship because when it comes to faith and belief in God, I think this matters. I think it really matters that we don't just check our brains at the door and become religious nutjobs, right? But that we actually know that our faith is grounded in a reality, in history and evidence. And although I probably like history more than a typical person, uh, that doesn't mean you have to love history. But I know you know some of it. And I want to introduce you to some history today that is central to your faith. And it happened in a land uh, far away, long, long ago. It has nothing to do with Jedi. It has something to do with a guy that lived. A guy that lived in what we would call the ancient Near East, the Middle East. 
Um, and what we're going to see today is simply this. This is the basic idea, is God invites you, invites us, he invited me to enter into a relationship with him, not by rules or regulations, but by trust. Another word that the Bible uses is faith, is faith. But I want to use the word trust today because sometimes we can dismiss the word faith and equate it with foolishness. But I want to talk about trust today. And God wants to know you. He wants to draw you to himself. And he's inviting you into a relationship. And that requires trust. Next week, we'll talk about rules and regulations. Because in every relationship, you have rules and regulations. I just got to marry a young couple, Sunrise couple. They've been dating for years. And we did their vows. That's a covenant. That's a little bit of the rules, right? And so we all have those. But the relationship is not built or based upon the rules. It's based upon trust. It's based upon faith. And if you know much about history, it's not a blind faith. Uh, it's a real faith. In fact, the three major, I'm going to use the word religious faith traditions of the world, all speak about this guy as the forerunner of their existence. And so if you look at Judaism, they talk about this guy. If you look at Islam, they talk about this guy. If you look at Christianity, they talk about this guy. So this guy has all the three major belief systems in the world as a central core character. In Judaism, the Bible is explaining in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, that God supernaturally created everything. He breathed it out in existence, and he, he was actively involved in it, and he placed a man called Adam in a garden in a specific place. Um, Islam actually believes the very same thing, that there is a single God, and he created and he placed Adam in this garden. Islam adds that, according to Prophet Muhammad, that he was the first prophet, that Adam was the first prophet. And you come to Christianity, and Christianity says the same thing, that God created supernaturally the heavens and the earth, and he created mankind, Adam, and then Adam and Eve and placed him in a garden. And so all those major faith traditions agree on those things, okay? They don't agree on a whole lot more than that, but they agree on those things. And that is important. In fact, not only do they believe it, and I don't know where you are on this, and if you believe in what Genesis says, the first book of the Bible, the first chapters, but Jesus believed it, okay? Because Jesus spoke about it. He believed that Adam and Eve were real people, and he spoke about them as real people in one of his teachings, and so I believe that, right? I heard a pastor say it this way, um, I'm okay believing it because if a guy can predict his death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever he says, right? And that was Jesus, right? And so we see this to be true. And then all three belief systems then begin to diverge when it comes to the issue of brokenness. We saw the problem last week. And the Bible calls that sin. And so Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and, and they, they sinned. Well, then what's fascinating is that all three belief systems come back together at this point and say, this is how God decided to deal with the problems of the world. And they all center on one man. Anybody know his name? I know you know his name. Abraham, right? And you're like, okay, good. Pass the test. Good. That was the only test you're going to get today. And you flying colors. I know you knew it. Abraham. Early on in the Bible, it's called Abram and God changed his name. We're just going to call Abraham. But the idea is that God decided to deal with the problem. God decided to deal with the mess. God decided to deal with the brokenness of the world that we had created. Our descendants, Adam and Eve had created. And so the point is this, is that they all focus on one guy. And so today I want to focus on that guy. I want to talk about that guy, and I want to talk about the journey that he made in the issue in the area of trust. 
Now, before I do that, though, um, I, I, I want to I do this by telling a story because I want to tell a modern day story, a story that's happened in the last year, because we're talking about a 4,000 year old story. And that's pretty unfathomable for me. 4,000 years old. That's, that's like, I don't, I don't know how to calculate that, right? You got today and you, and you go back 2,000 years to Jesus and you go back another 2,000 years to Abraham. So let me tell you this story. So uh, we were working on the farm. We have little two acres there, and it keeps us busy. So it was a Saturday morning about a year ago, and we're working on the farm, and everybody's got chores, and they're doing their chores. And I'm inside doing some things, and uh, family's moving around. Josiah, my oldest, is outside, and he's mowing. So he's riding the John Deere, and he's doing the mowing job and things like that. And uh, I love my son dearly, but one thing you need to understand about him, he's not always attentive to the details because he'll put the music on and he'll listen to stuff. And, you know, he was the kid playing baseball out in left field, like looking at flowers because it's like, wow, this is a cool flower. There's a ball coming. Okay. So he's focused on those things. Well, so um, all of a sudden I hear him screaming. He runs into the house and he screams, dad, the mower's on fire. Okay, now you do not want to hear that, right? You don't want to hear ever the mowers on fire. Jeff, you don't want to hear the mowers on fire, right? Jeff, uh, the John Deere, yeah, he, he, he said, I think he said that. The John Deere's on fire. That's not a good day when your John Deere's on fire, right? And so um, what had happened was he had been mowing and it was drier. It was probably around the August time period. And the, the, the debris was beginning to build up around the front of the mower. And it was piling up higher and higher. And then the muffler, the exhaust is right there. And somehow it had gotten so high built up. He wasn't paying attention. I love him, but he wasn't paying attention. And it built up so much that sparks lit the grass on fire. And all of a sudden, you know, dry grass, right? It just lit up and started to get the John Deere on fire in the front. You need to know that we live on a two-acre farm surrounded by 100 acres, And there was a hundred acres of a crop growing and it was dry and it was brown and man, that's dangerous. So he comes running into the house and he says, dad, the John Deere's on fire. And so you know what I did? I said, what an idiot. What's what a stupid kid. Go figure it out yourself. No, I didn't do that. You don't believe for a moment I did that. You don't believe for a second that I would be the kind of dad that would just disregard that moment and put him as the cause of all the problem, right? Because he had a deep need in that moment. Now, you don't believe I would do that. But if I could just be so honest, some of you are sitting here today and you're wondering if God feels that way about you. If he feels that again, You know how many times you screwed this thing up? How many times have you come to me in prayer about your marriage? How many times have you come to me about your life? How many times have you gotten to the bottom and all you do is cry out to me? Why don't you just figure it out yourself? Now, I know that's true because I've been a pastor long enough to know that that's how we see God sometimes. But that's not the God of the Bible. So my, my son yells and screams and, uh, you know, the mower's on fire. And so I, I grab the fire extinguisher in the kitchen. It's right down the stairs. And we run out to the John Deere and I spray that thing and empty that foam all over the front of that. And then um, we, we get a rake and we start pulling all of the debris away and we go get water and, and, you know, get the hose out there. And we wet the whole thing down and clean the mower up. I give him a hug and I check to see if he's okay and he's fine. And once everything is taken care of, he gets back on the mower and he continues mowing. And I would hope that he would have known in that moment and realized this, that no matter how big the problem is, 
his dad's going to be there. Not because I'm like super dad, because I'm not. We just had a fire extinguisher, right? And um, I knew what to do. But I hope he would know that when the world's on fire, that he can always call dad. And I'll do my best to be there. I'll do my best to play my part. And I just want you to know this, that when your world is on fire, when the world is broken, when everything is falling apart, you have a heavenly father that loves you and knows you and wants you to come to him. And sometimes it takes those moments for us to come to him. And that's why we're talking about this reset. Because maybe you've hit the bottom. I know by reading the Bible, and I can say with certainty that his heart is for you. He loves you. Uh, I heard this years ago, he's not mad at you. He's mad about you, you know. And he's dearly in love with you. And he wants to use that painful moment to draw you back to himself. He doesn't relish in the idea that you're going through pain. He doesn't sit there and go, it's about time. I've been looking at my watch. And, you're, you know, you do this about every 12 months. You know, he doesn't say, why don't you just figure it out? He rushes in to take care of the problem. And that's what the Bible says. In fact, that's the story of Abraham, that God in his beautiful grace, in his love for us, saw how far we were away from him, how fallen, how broken, how messed up we had been, how much was on fire. And he knew that he would come and take care of it. And he came in in, the, in this way by visiting this man named Abraham. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, we, have, we put the chair Bibles back in. So um, long is the day gone where you can worry about what's on there. They've cleaned them all up. And if you want to grab a Bible, you can grab there. We're in the very first book called Genesis. And we're going to look at chapter 12, the first three verses. Or it'll be here on the screen or you have your fancy device. But Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And I want to see how God began to deal with the issue and the problem that was going on in the world. And so 2,000 years before Jesus, God steps in to reset things, and he does it through Abraham. And so let's take a look at this. This is what we read here in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. The Lord had said to Abram, remember that's his first name, um, which is a fascinating study, the father of many he wasn't the father of anybody. And later he's changed to Abraham, the father like of many nations, which gets worse because he doesn't have any kids. Um, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country. Uh, this native country was Ur of the Chaldees, which is about 200 miles. I believe it's south or north of Baghdad, Iraq. So a very real place. This is a real guy in a real place embedded in history, right? And so, but it's really ancient history. And so he says, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So there's a lot going on here. So first of all, I want to say God showed up and he's a God that shows up and he showed up and he invited Abraham, Abram on a journey. He invited him on a journey. And so I've been doing this talk where I go around the Northwest and talk to groups of pastors. And I'm talking about how it takes faith, right? Um, what we do takes faith. Pastoring takes faith. Leading a church takes faith. In fact, that's the whole life is by faith, right? And by faith, by faith. Hebrews 11, by faith. God did not invite Abraham on a great journey of faith to go around the block. He never invites us to small journeys of faith. He invites us on journeys that we can't see the end of, but he's going to be there. And he says, just follow me. Listen to my voice, follow me. 
I, I know one of the questions I want to ask him is, now how did you tell Sarah that? And what did she say when you said, we're going somewhere and I don't know where? We're leaving comfort. We're leaving our idols, our gods. We're leaving our, our family structure. We're leaving everything that everybody holds dear and we hold dear and we're just going to leave by faith. And so Abraham started out on this journey, but he made Abraham three promises, and they're really important. And I want to take a look at the first one would be that he would be the father of a great nation. Again, I said the name Abram means the father of many, later Abraham, the father of all these nations, but he wasn't the father of anybody. He was an old guy, I'm really old, you know, far beyond having children. His wife, Sarah, was an old gal, really old, far beyond the point of being able to bear children. And God said, I want you to trust me. And the number one promise I'm going to make is you're going to have a kid. You're you're actually going to have a lot of kids as a result of this and a lot of descendants. And I'm sure as anyone, as any husband and wife throughout the years, especially in that culture, for preservation of name and identity and just safety and security as a tribe, we wanted a lot of people. This was an ache in his heart. He desperately wanted this. Sarah desperately wanted this. And God shows up and says, hey, first promise, I'm going to make you into a great nation. The second promise is this. I'm going to make you famous. Now, when we look at a great nation, anybody know what the great nation was? It's the nine o'clock service. I know online you can put it in Facebook quotes. Uh, Israel. Israel. Has anybody ever heard of Israel? Raise your hand. Okay. It's a great nation. Okay. He says this, I'll make you famous. Before you came in today, how many of you had heard of Abraham? Okay, excellent. You heard about it. You're, he's famous, right? I mean, everybody knows the name of Abraham. All, all Jews and all Muslims and all Christians know that. I did a little history check here. How many of you are familiar with King Arafel of Babylonia? Anybody? You didn't have his poster on the wall when you were in junior high? No, okay. How about um, King Arioch of Elisar? Come on. King Arioch? Some of you certainly know about him. Okay, what about this one? King Kedorla Armor of Elam. Now see, these were all the famous kings. I mean, famous kings at the time of Abraham. And they're all dead and gone, and history books don't even remember them, right? You have to dig super deep to find these names. God said, I'm going to build you into a great nation, which we know about today, 4,000 years later. They still exist, right? Israelites. Um, I'm going to make you famous 4,000 years ago. We still know his name, right? And three of the biggest faith traditions, religious groups, stake their claim on this guy. And then the last promise was this. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In fact, my blessing is going to be so deep and so wide and so vast that all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. That even today, watching or sitting here, you're blessed because of Abram. Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. We'll come back to that. But he got to go ahead a couple chapters, chapter 15. In chapter 15, we see more of the story, verses 1 to 6. And so it, it says this in chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Sometime later, it's several years later, uh, nothing has happened, as it were. None of the promises have been fulfilled. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Don't be afraid. Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Have you ever had a person that keeps making promises to you and promises and promises? Like, why don't you just show up with something, right? That's what's going on. Look at this. Look at the response. But Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings? Ouch. When I don't even have a son. Nice words, God. I need to see some action, right? 
I, I, need, I need to see some evidence, right? I, the first most important thing, I don't even have a son. And then he goes on and says, since you've given me no children, <laughs> I like that. It's your fault, right? Since you, you've promised, I've been waiting. I told Sarah, we're waiting. She laughed, I've laughed. It's not gonna happen. Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. Uh, no name will be descended from me. I, I'm just gonna die. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And look at how God treats his doubting servant. And the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Now, this is the part I want to look at. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. I love night photography. A friend of mine, Donnie, here at Sunrise, we've, last couple years, we've gone out and do astrophotography where we can see the Milky Way and can't see it in this area, but you got to go to places uh, that are dark sky. And uh, recently at our men's retreat, we were at Camp Tadmore and we went out one night and we set the cameras up and 20 second exposure. And all of a sudden you see the Milky Way pop. He didn't need that. He just looked up every night over there in that age, right? And Milky Way was just screaming at you. Untold numbers of stars. And he said, Abram, I need you to do me a favor. Let's leave the tent, come outside, just look up. You see all those stars? Far too many to count. That, that's going to be like your children. In fact, you're going to have so many children, the world wouldn't be able to count them. And so what are you going to do about that? And it says here, it says here on the next, Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham put his trust in God. When he, practically speaking, didn't have a lot of evidence, he had a voice speaking to him. We don't know what that was like, right? That he had done all this journey and he had been traveling and he had been moving around. He didn't even get the promised land yet. He got his feet on it, but he had to leave. And there was famine. There's all kinds of struggles. And he kept putting his faith in God and he didn't see a lot of evidence until God said, I just, I just need you to do one thing. I need you to believe. And what's fascinating is that and we'll see in a moment that that idea of believing is a significant thing. It's not just a acknowledge, check the box. It's to put trust into. It's to step into a, a, a relationship and say, I put my trust in you. I put my hope in you. I mean, we, we have friendships, right? Some of you are married, you know, and you, you put your trust in that. You put your hope in that. And you say, I'm going to give to you what is very precious and that is my trust. And that's a dangerous thing to do because that trust might be violated. And we're all human beings and we don't mean to sometimes. And we break our trust and we break our faith. But God is a faithful God. And so God just invited Abram on a journey and he said, put your trust in me. Now for the remaining years of Abram's life, he got to see very little of this. He, get to, he did get to see a son. But Abraham faith that, had faith that night. Again, I want to draw back to this statement that God invites you, he invites me into a relationship with him, not by rules or regulations. That's how religions do it. You obey the rules and then you're in the club. Um, but by trust, by faith in him. And that's what God invited Abraham into. He didn't have a lot to go on, but he had faith. And in that moment, the Bible says something happened. And I don't know how it clicked in his heart or in his mind, in his soul, but in heavenly language, something clicked and it says that God put into Abram's account righteousness means a right standing with God whereas before that 
He was like every broken, sinful person on the planet, separated from God. That's what our sins do. We saw that last week. We're separated from God. But at that moment, God put a deposit, a spiritual deposit, as it were, into his account, and now Abraham could stand right before him. I mean, he still had his problems. He still was on the earth like you and me, but the relationship was restored by trust, by faith. Now, let's go back to that third promise about all the peoples of the earth, all the families of the earth be blessed. That relates to Jesus because Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, and he was someone who came through because of the promises that God made to Abraham. And so Jesus came and he lived and he did all the ministry we've seen and these messages recently. And he did this amazing, you know, love and care for, and he dies on a cross and then he's buried and all hope is gone. And then, you know, there's a glimmer of hope, a little flicker of hope and he's risen and they see him. He's resurrected. He gives us all this command to go and make disciples of the world. He ascends to heaven. He's praying for us and faith was reborn. And that's what God was saying back then, although it was, you know, no pun intended, a very Genesis version of it, a very small micro version, that everybody could be blessed through Abram's seed, through his lineage, because it's going to end up in a Messiah, a Savior, because that's the ultimate fix for all of our brokenness and all of our pain. The way to have a relationship with God is by trust. It's by faith, not by rules, not by attending church, not by praying, not by giving in the offering, not by going to Bible studies, not by reading the Bible and memorizing it, but it's by faith. It's a relationship, right? The Apostle Paul wrote this, and this is so great. In the book of Romans, he says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. That's pretty honest. Some of you might say you're in that situation. I have no reason to hope. You know, I I just showed up and I have no hope. I really have no hope. Even though Abraham had no reason, no maybe external evidence, a rational person would say, you're kind of foolish. Even when he had no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, trusting, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants he will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. And though at about 100 years of age, see, I told you he was kind of old, right? He figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Uh, Paul goes on to say, and Abram never wavered in believing God's promise. Man, I wish that could be said about me. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Are you fully convinced? That's like a whole other sermon. Are you fully convinced God is able to do whatever he promised you? And then he goes on, and he wraps it up with this in chapter 4. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. God deposited an account a credit in his account, and he's righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit. This is how we get to be blessed because of what God did for Abraham. It was our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. You see, friends, God wants the same thing from you that he wanted from Abram. Anybody in the Bible. He wants faith. He wants trust. Not a blind faith. He wants you to trust him because he's inviting you to follow him. He's inviting you into a relationship. And the beautiful thing is, is that he'll do all the work of the righteousness. Because it's already been done in Jesus. And all you have to do is believe. Which sounds really crazy. Which sounds so easy, right? Because we all want to work for it. We all want to earn it. We all want to put our marks up about how good we are in it. It's like none of that matters. What matters is that we say yes 
and we believe that all that God has done for us is true, and then it's credited to our account. Trust, my friends, paves the way for a relationship, because if you don't have trust, you don't have a relationship, right? I want to share a video, about four and a half minutes, of a dear friend, Jody Ann. She's going to talk about trust and her journey of coming through life to this point. Hi, I'm Jody Ann, and um, I'm here to tell my story. Um, from the time I was a toddler, um, my father, my mother tells me the story of my father um, giving me a black eye. I was about three. In fact, my mother and I both um, donned a black eye together, and I learned at a very early age not to trust. And so, um, luckily, though, my mother was able to get away from my father with my sister and I in tow. And when I was about six years old, my mother married my stepfather. Um, and that's when the sex abuse started. Uh, it happened um, from the age of six until I was 16 by multiple members of my new family. And so from a very early age, I not only did not trust others, but I also didn't trust myself um, because I couldn't advocate and I couldn't stop it. And so um, I just felt like everything was out of my control. When I became a teenager, I began, I, I had coped by trying to be a good girl. And when that didn't work, I just became an, a rebel and I started getting in a lot of trouble. It led me down a very dark path. And when I was 16 years old, I had a very unique dream that led me to Christ. It was the first time in my life I became aware of my own sin and my need of a Savior. And so I gave my heart to Christ that day, um, and I sought out a church and began um, my journey in Christ. And it wasn't perfect. It was very bumpy. Um, but it gave me the courage to stand up against the abuse. And um, I, I spoke to my abusers and said, enough is enough. And it did stop. Um, and within a year, both of my parents, uh, everybody in my house was, had given their life to Christ. I cared about somebody. I met somebody in high school at church. So that meant they were a Christian, right? And uh, married them and found out that um, they too were broken. And um, I ended up on a train at eight, eight months pregnant um, after marrying this man um, because uh, he had pushed me down a flight of stairs when I was seven months pregnant. And so... The reinforcement was that I can't trust anybody, and I just need to go rogue and be by myself. And um, so I was single mom for six years, and I married another man, and that relationship ended 22 years later. Um, he was a pastor. Uh, he stepped out of ministry because of some hurts that he had with decisions that were made. And then um, a few years before I left, he came out of the closet as an atheist and said that he never believed. And so 
My heartache and heartbreak was that we had lived for 22 years in ministry as a lie and misled a lot of people, and I just was very confused. Um, I ended up in a women's shelter um, eight years ago, and that's where my story changes. Um, I had this very pivotal moment in my life where I felt like the Lord asked me to trust Him, and I really had to contemplate if that was even possible. And so I made the decision that day, eight years ago, this fall, actually, um, to trust Him. And He has proven faithful every step of the way. If, if you know Jody Ann, she was our uh, office manager for a number of years. She's actually working at a retirement community right now. Um, there's a lot more to her story. It, just like in your life, there's a whole lot more to the story that can fit in four and a half minutes. Um, her weight ballooned up. She, at one point, she was 400 pounds. She's lost close to 200 since then. She's been able to be free of those negative images and the way she would see herself when she looked in the mirror because she took a, a step of faith to begin to trust God. I don't know how many heartaches you've had, how many ups and downs, and maybe they rival this, and we need to shoot a video of you. I don't know. But I know this, that the central story and figure in all of these changes is Jesus. And when we put our trust in him, he is faithful. And so what, here's what I want to do. I want to offer a prayer. And after the prayer, we're going to worship. We're going to have communion. And uh, for some of you, that's the table you need to go to, to to receive those elements, to remember the sacrifice of Christ. But at the end of the service, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to also invite you to the cross because some of you need that place. You need the cross. You need to come and acknowledge Christ. You need to believe. And it could be that over the last number of weeks you've believed and you need to come and solidify that and pray with one of our prayer folks that are going to be up here. But the fact is, is it's an invitation And that's all God ever did with Abram. He invited him to trust. And so right now I want to close in a prayer, which is an invitation to trust. And so here's what we do as church people. We we close our eyes and we bow our head and we we talk to God as, as crazy as that may seem. We talk to the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, to the God, the father of Jesus, his son. And to our God. And I want to offer up a simple prayer. And maybe this is your first time praying this. Maybe this is your first time trusting in him. And if so, just say words similar or repeat after me. Not because this is a magical prayer, but it's a meaningful moment where you can make your own decision to trust. So God, in this moment, I place my trust in you. I believe that you've loved me so much that you sent Jesus as my Savior. God, I believe you love me so much that you put all of my brokenness and sin on Jesus, your Son. I believe that you will give me the same right standing as you gave to Abram. And God, I can stand righteous before you because you alone are able to make that happen. Father, we just want to say thank you because on our own, we are broken and lost and we are beaten up and we're left by the wayside. But in your love 
and your grace and mercy, you receive us back and restore us to amazing new life. The best life possible, you said, so that we can live a life on rescue mission for others. May we be that, we pray in your name. Amen.